We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. The show presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or head to windownation.com. It's NBA trade deadline day. Uh, The Wizards have, as of the recording of this podcast, they have traded Daniel Gafford. Uh, That's it so far. There are also reports that they are not going to trade Kyle Kuzma. Let me just mention to those of you that don't follow the team, don't care about the team, um, and don't even know the names of the players, Kyle Kuzma they gave a big deal to in the offseason. He's 28 years old. He's an excellent player. And I have no problem with them not trading Kyle Kuzma unless they were to get a blockbuster deal. Because, Tommy, one of the things I've learned about Kyle Kuzma, both by having him on the show, the radio show, and just hearing from various people around the team over the last couple of years, he is he's among the most well-liked people in the building. He is incredibly thoughtful. He's a great interview. Have you interviewed him yet? No, I have not. He's interesting. He plays for the Wizards, right? He plays for the Wizards, yes. He plays for the Wizards. But he, you know, take all of the, you know, the flamboyance from what he wears to games. He is, he's really smart. He's interesting. And I've been told multiple times he is one of their favorite players in that building in a long, long time. Apparently just really, and he's 28 years old. So even though there's a chance they won't be any good for another three or four years, maybe they think, hey, he could be the veteran on the first team we have that you know has a chance to make a run at the playoffs. I don't know what they're thinking as it what's relates to that. What's a blockbuster deal? Well, you got to get back picks, plural, and and it's got to be a, it, there's got to be a first involved in it because God, here we go. I think they could get Hold a on. first. The, 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 the fast forward buttons are being hit right now. I can hear them right now. <laughs> when are you going to end the Wizards conversation? Stop yeah. talking about the Wizards. <laughs> okay, um, they're right. You know, they they are hundred <laughs> percent right. I did this uh, last night, by the way. Jordan Poole, who may be the most unlikable player, uh, he yes. he played 25 minutes and didn't score any points. This is a guy that is literally, you know, sabotaging his own career. Um, I read the post story. He got booed a couple of times throughout the game. They played at Washington, right? They played at home. They did play at home last night. You read the okay, well, you, you read booed. the game story in the post. Wow. Why? Well, I, I read because because the, I think the headline was Jordan Poole gets booed. Oh, okay. Well, that'll draw you in. <laughs> and I, I too am fascinated by this car wreck that we're watching. Um, yeah, it is. A, well, it's a, it's an intentional car wreck. I, it no, is his his own car wreck. Oh, his own, per- his own per- personal his career. Car wreck. I, I got it. No, you're yes. right. You're right. No, I don't mean. I know the Wizards are in a demolition derby. <laughs> you know, at this point, I know that, yeah. and I'm on board with that. Okay, uh, but uh, this guy, I can't believe how much. You know, well, he had the opportunity to be the man. 
going from a place where he was, what, the third or fourth banana, but still considered a very talented player. But not well liked. I think a lot of people, a lot of people thought, I thought, once he came to Washington, he'd have a chance to shine. Yeah. And he's done the opposite. Yeah. I mean, I. I was certainly expecting expecting him to shoot thirty times a game and average twenty four a game. Um, last <laughs> night he shot five times and scored zero points. It's pretty funny, actually. You know, this is I was not going to um, bring this up uh, on the show today, but I'm going to do it now since we're talking about the Wizards because we did it on radio this morning, and I'm looking for the um, looking for the the. Uh, the email that I got this morning. I remember the guy's name. It was Bernie. Where is it? Basically, I had a guy uh, email me. Who emailed and... you about the wizard? No. It was... It was no. Okay, here it is. Kevin, have we, have we ever been at this point in D.C. sports? All four teams are bad, and the two college programs that matter the most, Maryland and Georgetown, are just as bad. Do you realize that this is an all-time rock bottom for this area and sports? And so when I read this right before the show started this morning, I'm like, you know what? He's right. You have, I mean, just think about the draft position, right? The Nats pick second. The Skins are picking second. The, the Wizards will pick in the top three. And then add to that, the Caps are seven points out of the playoff race right now. Probably not going to go to the playoffs for the second straight year. Uh, and then for those that care, like I do, about college basketball, and I would say that, you know, next in line after the four pro sports teams are, you know, being a basketball town, Maryland and Georgetown have provided a lot of thrills over the years. Neither one of them is very good, and they're not going to go to the tournament. Georgetown's terrible. Maryland's not very good. The Caps aren't going to make the playoffs. They still could make the playoffs. I know the Nats have a nice young nucleus. They're not spending any money. They're also in a, in a division with Atlanta and Philadelphia. They have the, they're over-under for wins. I checked it for 2024 is 68. They're only three teams with a lower over-under win total. Washington's football yeah. franchise was 4-13 and, and, and finished arguably as the worst team in the league at the end of the year. I don't think we've ever been at this point. I think I think he's right. Bernie's right. I think he may be right. I think he may be right. I mean, on the other hand, I know people would point to 1972 as saying, wow, that's when, you know, that's when the Redskins went to the Super Bowl and what a great year that was. But there was no basketball. There was no football. There was no hockey. There's so no is it basketball, better? baseball, hockey, yeah. Yeah. There, is it better to basically have success in a limited field or to have at least the, the – is, is, is it better in quantity or quality? Well, obviously, you know, we're a big city. You, you have to have the quantity. Yeah, I mean, we're not Salt Lake, okay. you know. I mean, okay. so, so I think I think it's been worse, even with even in a great year for the Redskins. Comparable, we were like we were basically like Buffalo that year. What that would, was the only team you had in town. Well, what would be worse to be a one-team town that with the team being awful, or to be the four-team town and all four of them are pretty bad? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I. <laughs> The funny thing is I remember when the Bullets moved here and I was a kid and I was so excited and, and um, you know, there was no baseball. I always wanted baseball back. Um, and then the hockey thing came and, I, you know, it was – this wasn't a hockey area. Nobody grew up playing hockey or even knew much about hockey, but it became, you know, what it became. But anyway, yeah. here, here's the question that I ended up taking calls on on the radio show. Which of the four pro teams, and let's throw Maryland and Georgetown in there. I feel badly, by the way, not mentioning Maryland football because of the teams currently, Maryland football's had the most recent success. They've they've won a couple of bowl games in a row, and Mike Loxley's done a great job um, with, with that program. But Maryland football is very niche, very niche. Look, everything else has become sort of bandwagon-ish as well um, in town. But um, 
which of the which of the teams do you think will be back and in contention in the postseason, relevant in their sport before the others? Well, I might want to point out that you left out the DC defenders. Well, I left out the esports team XFL. too. I guess, yeah. They, they, he went that. He went to the XFL championship game last <laughs> okay. year. Come on. Okay, are we going to a defenders game again this year? Sure, I'll go. I'll go to. I love that Audi. We field. had fun, didn't we? we had, had fun. A, we had a great time. Randy Mueller, by the way, remember was sitting right next to us. I yes. tried to talk to him, but I re- then realized that he was actually part of the Seattle Working. team. Yeah. But I've had him on radio yeah. a bunch. Uh, since then, he's really he's a good guest. He's excellent. He yeah, he is. I think he works for the athletic. Yeah, he does work for the athletic so. and writes for the athletic. Yeah, no, he's smart. He's okay, a good guy. take so we're but, not we're not uh, going to count okay, the defenders. Take the defenders out of it. Thank you. Okay, uh, you know you have to say you have to say Washington has the, has the brightest future because which Washington? It's a, it's, it's a uh, well, that's true. The, the commanders. Oh, okay. You know, I can't even say the name. <laughs> you see, if you c- think about you. You can't say the name. How do you think people like me feel? I say it though every once. I've been saying it more and more, but whatever. Uh, okay, keep, but, but so you think it's the have, football they team? Because cl- they have a clean slate. Okay, everybody else, even even the basketball management team, which has been here for five minutes has already fired the coach that they picked to, to coach the Wizards. The coach that they kept, not picked, they inherited him. <laughs> they kept him, even though everybody knew he was, he was not a very good NBA coach. Right. So, I, so, so the basketball management that's only been here five minutes, they're already, what, 6-30 and 30 or something like that, or 6-31? and 31? They have the third worst so, record in the league. It's like okay, nine so, I think it's 9-40. So they've and 40. already... They've already, whether that's good or not, whether that's the part of the plan, they've already established their mark of, of you know, of misery. Okay, this this unit of football has not done that yet. New owner, new coach, new general manager. And you could argue the new owner has because he 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 sat there and watched uh, Ron Rivera go four and thirteen. But you know that no. as an overall package. I'd say the commanders probably have the most promise because they they, they don't have any blemishes, really. Uh, as it relates to this conversation, um, there is some complexity to it just because of the hockey thing. You know, like the Caps could literally be in the playoffs in two months and win a series or two. I mean, it's the nature of hockey. They're seven points out currently. They're not a good team. They've lost five games in a row. They're next to last in their division. But, you know, it's so bunched up that they could actually make a run. But the the randomness of hockey, uh, you know, they're not a good team, right? You know, Ovechkin, by the way, the whole Ovechkin chasing Gretzky thing – now it looks like, will it happen? I think he's still 62 short. Um, Doesn't but, look good right now. But that's not the conversation we're having. I gave the same answer you gave. But Denton gave me the Nats, which I thought you were going to give me. And this is why he said, look, they have a young – the trades of the last few years have brought in some really interesting players – um, from you know certainly the Soto trade and Dylan Cruz could be a star and and I and I said that's fine you know when you're when you're looking at C.J. Abrams and you're looking at K. Bear Ruiz from the you know trade to the Dodgers and you're looking at, at Dylan Cruz and all of these different people that are that a lot of guy a lot of people in baseball are excited about you know in terms of having some real you know um, real potential stars in in excellent players that they've that they, that Mike Rizzo's traded for in in recent uh years. However, they don't have an ace right now on their staff uh, unless you think Mackenzie Gore is. Do you? I haven't seen enough to think he's to think he's an ace. Look, they have a lame duck ownership. That was my Okay, that, that, that was what back. I was going to say that too. Ownerships in flux. Yeah. They're not spending any yeah, money. They have a lame. Yeah, they're not spending any money. Uh, the Nats did well in those trades, but they're still ten steps behind the Orioles 
when it comes to player development right now. Okay, they they've gone from one of the worst player development systems in the league to just above the middle of the pack, but they're not top ten right now. There are some reasons to be optimistic about some players, but until the ownership thing is settled, then you know who your new owner's going to be, and it's not going to be the second coming of Dan Snyder or something like that. You can't say the Nats. Yeah, and, and again, the ownership thing, and then just the fact that there are two stud teams in their division in Atlanta and Philly that don't look like they're going oh. anywhere anytime soon. No. No, and they and they're, they're both. I mean, the Braves are going to be stacked for years. Right. They, they have signed almost all their players to like multi-year contracts. All the young players, so they're not going to have an exodus of young talent like like Washington has had. And the Phillies, you have an owner who who looks like he's willing to spend what it takes uh, to compete. And you know the other thing too about what you said about the football team and and this is why I would lean in that direction is it's the NFL things change so quickly and they do have kind of a clean slate they do have an opportunity in this first year with better coaching with better ownership and better structure with uh, you know, the opportunity to potentially add a, a quarterback at number two, but to add a lot of other players. And the free agency opportunity could be huge. They're in a division right now where Philadelphia doesn't look nearly um, as scary moving forward as they did midway through this season. The Cowboys yes, yes. are kind of, you know, a, a self-sabotaging team themselves. Um, but, you know, the, the NFL changes. Look, Houston last year was supposed to be one of the two or three worst teams in the league. They went to the postseason and won a game. It would not shock me if a Dan Quinn uh, coach team that, you know, with the, with the structure in place that they have, if they turn it around much faster than people think. Now, the key, of course, quarterback. The quarterback. They got, they got yeah. to get that right. And even if they get it yeah. right, there's a better chance that that quarterback isn't C.J. Stroud in his rookie year, um, which was, you know, incredible what Stroud did in his first year in Houston. Yeah, it was. So I, I, I'm with you. Um, also, I just wanted to mention this about the Wizards. Back to the Wizards one more time. I promise it'll be quick. So they're 9-41, and 41, and this is really what they're going to be here. You know, of, the, of, of all the teams, they're the furthest away by far. Um, because even though they're doing the right things to give them the best chance, it's two years away minimum. It's two more drafts away minimum from them being a competitive team versus being an awful team. It's probably three to four years away from them actually having the players that they add over the next couple of years be – mature enough, you know, and have enough experience to make a run for like the play-in 7 to 10 seed. You know, and And let me point out yeah. that uh those are the opportunities they'll have. There's no guarantee they'll no, pick the right guy. No guarantee. None. Yeah. Um as it relates to that, this upcoming draft is not the draft that they believe in or any other NBA team believes in the 25 and the 26 drafts are the ones that I think the Wizards have their eyes on like I think they'd love to accumulate a lot of picks so that they can you know have a lot of balls in the hopper for the 25 draft which has Cooper flag at the top he is just an unbelievable high school basketball player. He's going to go to Duke next year. He'll be a one-and-done. He's the consensus overall projected number one in 25. And then Carlos Boozer's son, he's got he's got twins, um, but the, the one son who's the bigger guy, the 6'8", 6'9", guy, um, I think he's actually maybe 6'10", or growing to 6'10", he is apparently a potential superstar as well. So, you never know even with these NBA things, but it seems like when you have these phenoms in high school, they actually pan out more than the NFL guys do. But that's what they'll be looking at. Okay, enough about that. Enough about the Wizards. Um, this from Jason. We've done enough damage. Yeah. We've done enough damage to this show now. 
Let's move on. This from Jason on Twitter. So Logan Paulson agrees with you on Jaden Daniels, and then he said something that was rather graphic that I won't read. <laughs> and I just I wanted to mention that um, yesterday I had Logan on. Logan's great. Uh, and Logan had really good insight on Dan Quinn, who he played for. He's obviously very, very bullish on Quinn um, and likes Peters too. But he thinks Caleb Williams won Jaden Daniels to Drake May 3. And yesterday at the beginning of the show, I gave my order as of you know February 7th, subject to change, Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, and Drake May. And what I said was, and Logan agreed with this, and, and this is where this guy got a little bit graphic in terms of what my reaction may have been to Logan agreeing with me. Honestly, it wasn't nearly what you thought it was, Jason. Um, I don't care. I actually, you know, just value his insight. Um, he said, I said, I think Jaden Daniels is much closer to Caleb Williams than Drake May is to Jaden Daniels. And Logan agreed with that. Now, it's funny because I've been looking at a lot of the mock drafts, and they're really, there's so many out there now. Jaden Daniels is the number two quarterback taken much more than Drake May is, for what it's worth. And it's not worth much. But I'm going to tell you right now, these things are going to change potentially between now and the draft because. Teams haven't had a chance to sit down with these guys face-to-face. They haven't gone deep-diving yet into talking to coaches, talking to friends, talking to family members, talking to you know all of the people that they need to talk to to get comfortable with the person. I don't know anything about these people. I just watch games like a lot of you do, and Caleb Williams is really special. He is. He does things that you don't see and haven't seen college quarterbacks do in a long time. And it does look very much like Mahomes, the way he plays. Jaden Daniels flat out's the most electrifying college football player of the last several years. And if they had had a bad defense instead of a, an absolute horrific defense, I think he'd actually be much more in the conversation of number one because they would have been in the playoff. And they would have played well. They were the best offensive team in America. It wasn't close. And if their defense had been just average, they may have won the national Ooh. championship. Who? Jaden Daniels, LSU. Okay. Um, okay. But I, I – we'll see what happens. But, yeah, if, if it's Daniels and May and Caleb Williams goes to Chicago – I'm taking Jaden Daniels as of today, but we might learn things about him that that you know turn us off. Yeah. Um, and and th- real quickly, this was from Richard. Richard said you didn't answer the question you asked Logan about Justin Fields. I asked him, would you consider trading up for Justin Fields if they're going to take Caleb Williams? And he was not super keen on that, in part because he likes some of the things in Justin Fields, but you're not getting the rookie contract. You're going you're gonna to have to make a decision to pay him you know, sooner rather than later. I like Justin Fields. I've always liked Justin Fields. It's going to come down to whether or not Cliff Kingsbury likes Justin Fields and whether or not he thinks Justin Fields is more of a certainty in developing him than what the, the other two quarterbacks. You know, I, if if Justin Fields is available, it means they're picking Caleb Williams, Chicago. Um, but I do like Justin Fields, and the idea of trading a say a second round pick to move up one spot. Let's just say it's a second, and I mean it. It's you're not going to have to. T- uh, you're not going to have to trade any more than a second for Justin Fields. You're going to have to trade a future one minimum and your number two this year, the number two overall, to move up to one to take Caleb Williams. It might be two future ones. But for Justin Remember, Fields... Remember, the RG3 deal was what? Three first-rounders. Yeah, but that you were moving up from six to two. Um, not two to one. Right. It's one spot. But really the issue is we don't know what the price will be for number one because we don't know who's going to be trying to get up there. New England might want to be getting up there as well. Um, but in terms of fields, I don't think you give up any more than a second-round pick. And then you're talking about taking number two. 
and potentially leveraging it into a blockbuster, you know, deal, moving back a little bit, getting lots of other picks, and now you've really got a chance to build around Justin Fields if you believe in him. I don't hate that idea, but I only, I only am, I'm, I'm only okay with that idea if you aren't in love with any of the three that are there. Or if you're not in love with any of the two that are there because Chicago is going to take Caleb Williams and not even give you a chance to trade up and take Caleb Williams. So there, there's your answer. I'm going to defer. I'll defer to you on this. Uh, Although I I agree with Logan. I haven't watched Justin Fields. Huh? Yeah, I I mean, I I don't mind deferring to Logan as well, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I defer to you. On this pit, on on the quarterbacks in college, I agree with Logan in that I'm not crazy about acquiring Justin Fields as, as an as a better option than picking one of these two or three quarterbacks from college because you're right, you're going to have to make a decision quick about Justin Fields. Yep, you got to pick up the option right away. Um, yeah. on the fifth yeah. year, and then you're probably a year and, away and, from having to pay want, Because if you pick, let's say if you pick Drake May, I know this is a bad, uh, people don't want to see this happen, but, uh, and it turns out he's not the guy, you can fix that. You can go get another one. You're okay? right. You're right. And, and you've got plenty of time to figure it out. Yes. Yes, you do. You know, you've basically got That's five the years of these potentially. Contract. Yeah, you're not giving Sam Bradford a fifty million dollar deal. No, you're not. Um, okay, uh, you sent me a story that just broke this afternoon. Um, the Post uh, did a story on Eric Bieniemy. Uh, it was Nikki Javala and Sam Fortier who wrote about why Eric Bieniemy's one season didn't go well. Um, and there is some stuff in there that I think is interesting. Uh, we're moving on to a certain degree, but, you know, they can't start picking players yet or picking free agents yet. Also, by the way, it looks like Washington's added a coach to their offensive staff. We'll talk about that and more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. 
This segment of the show is sponsored by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and you'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit. It's Thursday of Super Bowl week. Uh, if you are gearing up for Super Bowl Sunday and you want to bet the Super Bowl, MyBookie is the place to do it. They've got over 300 prop bets on the Super Bowl uh, on Sunday. Their current uh, line right now is the 49ers minus two. The total still sitting there at 47 and a half. Um, but the prop bet uh, uh, option uh, is truly a, a menu of excellence when it comes to prop bets. It is a buffet, Tommy, with everything that you want on it comfort food-wise. Uh, there's meatloaf, there's mac and cheese, there's mashed potatoes. No greens on this buffet. It's just All good right. comfort food, and my bookie just does it right. I mean, I, I, I talked about them for four years now, more than four years. It's a place in which you're not going to get ripped off. The pricing is right. The lines are fair. You get paid if you win. Um, there are too many places out there right now that are charging you way too much on a loss. That's not what my bookie does. Go to mybookie.ag for all of your Super Bowl betting needs. Use my promo code, Kevin DC. So, uh, Nikki Javala, Sam 48, just moments ago put out a story. Washington Post titled, Eric Bieniemy lasted one season with the Commanders. Here's what went wrong. And there are some quotes in here on the condition of anonymity that I will read. You know, they go through all the stuff that we know. You know, he took the right. job. He was trying to spread his wings, you know, from Andy Reid and from, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes, et cetera. The previous coordinator, Scott Turner, wasn't very good. Um, and then they go through a lot of what happened this year. It was not a good season, clearly. Um, before BNME arrived, they write, his high-profile pursuit of a head coaching job had already raised questions about why so many teams had passed him over, and his quick exit from the commanders raised more. He interviewed for the commander's head coaching vacancy last month, but was not believed to be among uh, the finalists uh, for the job. Uh, I would just add, parenthetically, he didn't interview for any head coaching job. Uh, in this uh, particular hiring cycle, nor has he interviewed for any available offensive coordinator job. Uh, by the way, if you guys missed this yesterday, Tommy, I don't know if you saw this, he was part of the locker room in Kansas City or in Baltimore before the championship game. He was welcome back that. to address the team, but Andy Reid was asked about whether or not he would be on the staff next year, and he said, well, we don't have a spot. Um, God, in the locker room, That's cold. in the, but he said he'll, he's going to get a job. You know, he built him up and he said, as far as here goes, we don't have a spot. Um, in the locker room, Nikki and Sam, write Signs of frustration were evident throughout the season. After Washington's last game, a blowout loss to Dallas, tight end Logan Thomas was was as direct as any player had been about the simmering tensions between Biennemi and his, and his players when he said, quote, I might be the only one to say it, but I think we had our ups and downs with Biennemi. We had some good, we had some bad. It's one of those things where something new comes in after you've been used to something else for a couple of years, and sometimes you can bang heads. I respect him for coming to work every day and being the same person every day. Other players who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss internal team dynamics described Biennemi as a hardworking coach who hamstrung his own efforts with poor communication, stubborn play calling, and a disregard for player feedback. By the way, Biennemi did not respond to a request um, to comment on this story. Um, you know, they went back to, you know, the uh, Terry McLaurin feeling, uh, the, the confrontation that he had in training camp with him. We remember that where St. Juiced hit Cole Turner really hard. McLaurin got up in his face. Biennemi screamed something at McLaurin, and McLaurin yelled back, you know, at, at Biennemi. Um, then the, it was the next week that Rivera said players, you know, stupidly, Rivera went public with players expressing concern over Biennemi's coaching style. 
Um, but then it gets to the to the following. As the season progressed, friction remained. Multiple people said there was often confusion on game days because of offensive adjustments that were not clearly communicated to players and assistants didn't seem to be on the same page. Behind the scenes, some players urged their position coaches to beg Biennemi to run the ball more. The pass-heavy attack placed an extra burden on the offensive line and quarterback, and when Washington's offense did run, it averaged the seventh most yards per carry in the NFL at 4.43 per rush. One player said on the condition of anonymity, Quote, I don't think they gave Sam, as in Hal, a fair chance. I felt like we became a one-dimensional team, closed quote. Another player blamed Rivera for not forcing Biennemi to run the ball more or fixing the disconnect between the offensive and defensive staffs. One player said, quote, we didn't play complimentary football all year long, and that came back to haunt us, closed quote. Some players felt Biennemi's intense practices, though helpful in training camp, left them exhausted before games, and they believed the practice, practices created a greater risk of injury. Biennemi's title of assistant head coach gave him greater authority than most coordinators, allowing him to script practices and alter players' schedules during the week. One player felt Rivera delegated too much and failed to step in or make changes quickly when warranted. Another player said, quote, it was EB's effing team, closed quote. Uh, Rivera declined to comment on the story. Um, it was reported in this story that Rivera met with Biennemi midway through the season to discuss his approach uh, and suggest that they run the football more. Um, uh Many players said they welcomed Biennemi's changes early on. The idea that people were rejecting any sort of change to, change at all is just stupid. We needed to have some change. Um, and then they said, here was the turning point. They, they felt like the Chicago Thursday night game was the turning point when Biennemi called 53 consecutive passes in that game, which, by the way, I think is an NFL record. Hal was hit 11 times and took five sacks. Several players saw that moment as a turning point. Two weeks later, the Giants used blitzes and man-to-man coverage to beat up Hal, who took six more sacks and 12 hits. McLaurin, who never critiques coaching decisions or play calls, did in this case, saying, when teams are blitzing like that, it leaves one-on-one opportunities, and I felt like we got to that late. Hopefully going forward, we just get to it a little earlier, and it'll give us chances to make plays down the field. Um, yeah, so that is basically it on Biennemi. Um, I personally feel it's just the tip of the iceberg as it relates to Biennemi. But there's enough there for everybody to understand. It was results, yes. It was style, running the ball, et cetera, uh, throwing the football so much more, yes. Um, but there was just um, there was a communication problem between Biennemi and the offensive players and the offensive staff and friction because of it. I mean, it's a real, it's a real lesson in self-destruction, you know? Because, uh, I mean, I, th- I, I think under the right circumstances, this team could have been a couple games better. You know, then this maybe, you know, an eight-win team or something like that, and maybe the conversation about the uh, enemy wouldn't be so harsh. Uh, but it was apparent to people on the, uh, on the street that the play call was, was, was a train wreck in some of these games. And they, they did not, he did not help Sam Howell, and, and he, he, he contributed to his regression. By by not spoon feeding a young quarterback who was a fifth round pick, instead he threw him in the middle of the pond and said swim. Uh, so there's nothing really surprising here. We heard the players grousing. You know, at the end of the year, Ron Rivera was given a chance to sing the enemy's praises, and he basically demurred. He did not do that. Uh, so it's obviously the boss didn't like him much either. 
so if the, you know your players weren't crazy about you, your boss wasn't crazy about you, and the results of your job weren't very good, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's on the plus side for Eric Bieniemy. It was one year in Washington. I don't see anything. Yeah, I just I go back to why they hired him, um, and I. I th- I think there's at least a long shot chance that Ron Rivera was doing a favor for his friend Andy Reid, knowing that this was his final season, more likely than not. Andy Reid wanting to move on from Eric Bieniemy, elevate Matt Nagy, which was going to happen, and it was going to be awkward for them to elevate Matt Nagy to offensive coordinator. They would have kept him, I'm sure, and found a title that didn't, you know embarrass what would have been, you know, perhaps a demotion um, in reality. But nobody, as I pointed out this time last year, when they hired him, it was February 20-something, I think it was the 22nd, nobody in the league wanted to hire Eric Biennemi a year ago. Nobody in the league interviewed Eric Biennemi, even when when he made it clear he'd be willing to be an offensive coordinator instead of a head coach. Uh, I, I, you know, if that wasn't a red flag, as I said the other day, and as I said all off season, I don't understand these people that think somehow they this was a massive get or a massive coup to to, yeah. to pull in Eric Bieniemy. Yeah. He did not have any other options, and I don't know. I mean, given that Ron Rivera went public so early in training camp, I mean, <laughs> I, I wonder if he regretted the decision. Um, there's something, you know, just like we've said about Mike Vrabel over the last couple of weeks, there's a lot more to the story, more likely than not, okay, than just, you know, his coaching resume. Because if you just hold up his resume, man, he's a multi-time Super Bowl offensive coordinator champion. But I know, but I never, I, I mean, I, I know, I, of I course had not. Caveat. Of course. Yeah. I mean, if you were doing a blind taste test, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you know the chef there is Andy Reid. So uh, that was always, you know, questionable to begin begin with. Uh, I'll be curious what he does now. What do you think about just me suggesting the possibility? Because I thought this in the moment last year. I discussed it in the moment. Look, Ron's a lame duck for all intents and purposes entering 2023. He and Andy Reid are super close. It's very possible. It's not very possible. There's a chance, no matter how remote it is, that Andy Reid said to Ron, Hey, Ron, you're looking for an offensive coordinator. I got to move Matt Nagy into this position. Try Eric. You know, try EB out for a year. I, I don't, nobody else wanted him. Nobody, nobody wants him this year. Some, I know. some there's, there's, you, you get a, a taste of it in this story from Nikki and and Sam Fortier. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot more there. Clearly, there were players on offense that were not fond of their offensive coordinator. Now, here's the other thing that comes out of the story. The other thing that comes out of the story is just a suggestion that maybe Sam Howell could have thrived with a different play caller, with a different approach. I wonder if Cliff Kingsbury will feel that way after watching Sam on tape. I don't think he will. I don't think Sam Howell's going to be the direction. But is, is it possible that Sam could have had a better season Running the football, what do they say? For you know, uh, 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 the best friend for a young quarterback is a running game. The, he yeah. he never had that. Sure, he could have been better yeah. statistically and otherwise this year yeah. with with a with a focus on a more you know on a running game and taking the pressure off him rather than putting it on him. Where he was good and where I gave Eric Bieniemy credit during the season is during that giant game that Terry McLaurin referenced. In the second half, they went to, you know, taking shots against man-to-man, but they were quick game shots. Everything became quick game after that for a while, and you had some success 
after that first Giant game. You, they, it was all quick game against Philly, New England, and Seattle, and that was the stretch where Sam was on fire. You know, he had three straight 300-yard-plus games, high completion percentages. The, the Philly loss, New England win, and Seattle loss, I'm pulling it up right now, eight touchdowns, two picks, 397, 325, 312 were the yardages, 75%, 64.4%, 65.9%. And the sacks were, in total, seven in three games, which for him was phenomenal. Yes, yes. You know? um, And so, and and then all of a sudden, they started to drop him back more against the Giants and the Cowboys and the, the Dolphins, and it just, it just didn't work. Yeah, I mean, like I've said a couple of times, you know, the Cardinals, the opening game, which they managed to squeeze out at home, one of the defensive linemen on the Cardinals said, you know, basically their game plan was to go after the quarterback. And that was basically the the obvious game plan for most defenses that recognized that they didn't have a good offensive line and that their offensive coordinator didn't give a shit about protecting his quarterback. You know what's so funny about the season opener against the Cardinals is they won the game because of their running game in the second half and their defense. Two things that for the rest of the season would essentially be non-existent. When Sam got sacked, you know, six times and he fumbled and they returned it for a touchdown and he threw an interception, when, when the defense forced a fumble, and then it was nothing but Brian Robinson, Brian Robinson, Brian Robinson, touchdown. They, they got the ball back again. It was Brian Robinson, Brian Robinson. And it was like the defense took the game over against, by the way, you know, Joshua Dobbs, who ended up having a couple of magical games before, you know, uh, he turned into a pumpkin in, in Minnesota. But that opener was defense – and Brian Robinson Jr. and Sam Howell was terrible in that game, uh, but they didn't leave it on Sam Howell the rest of the way. And the defense stepped up and made play after play after play. Um, Sweat had uh, in that game they had eleven tackles for loss. Eleven in the game. Wow! They had three sacks. They forced two turnovers. In the game, um, and it it ended up making the difference. And then they ran it in for the touchdown yeah. after they forced a fumble or inter- interception, fumble, whatever it was. I'm yeah. forgetting you know, what it was, but yeah, that was it. The other thing about uh, the Bianami story was Ron Rivera didn't didn't uh, make any comments. He was given the opportunity to make a comment, and he didn't. But Rivera is painted very weak in this story. Yeah. In other words, like he refused to confront, to, to step in and make a change. You know, either he couldn't be bothered or that's not his style. He gave and that him... goes against this idea that he was some kind of leader when basically either he was intimidated or could care less about confronting the enemy, about making changes. You know what? It was probably a combination of both. Because I do think there was some resignation to, to the entire season for Ron Rivera. And by the way, part of that resignation was to hire Eric Bieniemy, um and give him an assistant head coaching job. I do remember after the Buffalo game, which was uglier even than the Arizona game early. That was the game in which he got sacked nine times and threw four interceptions. It's actually still to this day one of the worst quarterback performances I've ever witnessed to have four interceptions and to be sacked nine times in a game. But it was after that game because I remember Rivera very, very distinctly remember the comment of it's about us right now, coaches, not the players. We got to figure out what we're doing here. And it was a direct, we can't, we can't drop Sam back over and over again when he just can't see the field and he's getting sacked and we can't protect him, you know? And and then the next game, 
they came out and it was quick game against that was that first Eagles game that they had a chance to win if they had gone for two, whatever. They ran the ball more. It was mostly quick game. He got sacked a bunch, but not nearly as much. Um, so I think he probably did address him. But to your point, it wasn't like, hey, uh, I'm pulling this back from you if you can't if you're not going to do it my way. Yeah, he had already given him yeah. too much autonomy. It was his show. Yeah. That was one of the quotes. Yeah. You know? The, the One of the quotes was, let me find it again. It was EB's effing team. Close quote. Yeah. What a disaster this season was. It I really mean, was. I'm glad it was from a draft standpoint now because of what they have the opportunity to do. And maybe if they get it right, completely change the franchise if they get the quarterback right. But, my God, I mean, it was just – it was as bad as it was based on what we could see, what you're saying all the time. It's much worse. Things always look worse, yeah. It's, if things look bad from the outside, yeah, they're typically much worse behind the scenes. They were much worse behind the scenes, especially on offense. And the funny thing is it was Del Rio who got fired <laughs> during the season. Yeah. Um, and his players actually really liked him. Uh, let's get to a break and then get back and get your Super Bowl pick, and we'll do a You Heard It Here first. Oh, I wanted to mention that Jeremy Fowler from ESPN reported that Brian Johnson's going to become part of Washington's staff in, quote, a prominent role Closed quotes. So Brian Johnson, the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia this past season, he replaced Shane Steichen, who went to become the head coach in Indianapolis. He's being replaced by Kellen Moore. He is going to come to Washington to work for Cliff Kingsbury in the offensive side of the football. Uh, The role is prominent. I don't know what that means. I'm sure there will be more on Brian Johnson in the coming days. Remember, Philadelphia, after their absolute collapse, uh, they fired Brian Johnson, hired Kellen Moore. uh, They fired Sean Desai and hired Vic Fangio to be the defensive coordinator there. I don't think it was working very well offensively between Brian Johnson and Jalen Hurts if you read a lot of what was going on there at the end of the season, even though Jalen Hurts didn't publicly throw him under the bus. He also didn't publicly advocate for him to come back. Um, All right, uh, let's get to a break. We'll get a Super Bowl prediction. We'll do You Heard It Here first, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's. Well, look, you're probably maybe going to a, a party on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, a big Super Bowl party at some friend's house. You know, they'll have, uh, they'll probably have some nachos. They'll probably have some pizza, maybe some fireball or <laughs> some bush, bush light or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this will be the party, okay? Or you can go to the Super Bowl of cigar bars, Shelly's back room, where you'll be able to smoke a cigar. I guarantee you probably in almost every party you go to, you would go to on Sunday, you're not going to be able to smoke a cigar, okay, and watch the festivities. At Shelly's Back Room, that's a place you can do it. With top-shelf whiskey, 
the best cigars, cigar aficionados, top 25 cigars are all for sale at Shelly's Backroom and a Super Bowl menu there. You know, it won't just be nachos and peanuts at Shelly's Backroom. They've got eight, uh, you know, high-definition TVs. They've got uh, comfortable, overstuffed chairs, cozy couching, couches, great seating, an air purification system that will probably make that, that air better than the air you'll breathe in, in Billy's uh, basement watching, watching the Super Old Bowl. Billy, yeah. So do, your, do yourself a favor and head down to Shelly's Back Room, Super Bowl 9, 1331 F Street Northwest. To have an evening that you're not going to forget, no matter the outcome of the game. You can find out more at Shelly'sBackroom.com. All right, Tommy, it's Thursday of Super Bowl week. What's your Super Bowl pick, 49ers and Chiefs? Chiefs 35, 49ers 27. You're going with It'll Patrick be a high score, A relatively high-scoring game. Mahomes with three touchdown passes. And... Uh, you know, San Francisco just won't have enough. They, you just, I mean, I just, you're just not going to beat Patrick Mahomes. I just don't think he can at this point. I don't think they can at this point. Certainly not with Brock Purdy on the other side of quarterback. You know, it's funny because we do this all the time. We do it in baseball. We do it in football. We talk about pitching matchups, but the pitchers don't pitch against each other, you know? We talk about great quarterback matchups, but they don't play against each other. Right. But we still do it. And I think, I think for what I know on baseball side, pitchers get up for when somebody great is pitching for the other team on the mound. It pumps them up. You know, I, I'm, I'm guessing the same thing happens uh, in football as well. Uh, and that's, that's a losing proposition for the 49ers. Uh, you know, I like I like Mahomes and the Chiefs. In thinking, Tommy, about this game, which I've not given a lot of thought to at this point, uh, I'm not going to lie. It's been too busy with news related to our own team over the last week and a half since the two championship games. But in thinking about this game, strangely, I don't think Mahomes has any pressure. I don't think he needs to win the game to further his legacy, to cement a legacy. Like I said, going into that Baltimore game, I think if he won that game, to me it was as impressive a stretch, the two road wins at Buffalo and at Baltimore, really, against a team that looked unbeatable of any of his postseason uh, results previous to that. I think, if anything, the pressure's on Kyle Shanahan to get it done, uh, to prove that he can win one uh, to kind of match this label that he's been given is, you know, the offensive genius of the NFL with, you know, an incredible coaching tree uh, that is developing, which is really off of his father. Um, But the other part of this game is Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, I thought, played poorly in the first half against Detroit. I didn't think he played well at all against Green Bay. But at the end of the Green Bay game, And then once Detroit kind of served up the opportunity for San Francisco to get back into the game, he played great. And he played great in a way that most people don't describe him as playing great when they do describe him playing great. Meaning that a lot of people just say Brock Purdy is really good because he's, you know, not only a product of the system, but he really. He's perfect for the system. He, he throws with great anticipation and in timing. And, you know, it's set up for him, but he also delivers. But really it was the opposite in the Green Bay fourth quarter and then for sure at the end of the Detroit game in the NFC title game. He took that team and put, hit, put the team to a certain degree on his back and made plays off schedule. And that's where we get away from the game manager description and we start to talk about the quarterbacks that separate themselves from the quarterbacks who are really good in timing, on schedule, based on what the play is supposed to do. He took that game off schedule against Detroit, you know, getting out of sacks and making plays, making big runs uh, for first downs. Um, and there's a big opportunity for him. My personal belief is that Brock Purdy is just a little bit more than just a guy. 
You know, I think he's a starting quarterback in the NFL, don't get me wrong, and I think he's a guy that, you know, you can talk about as a top half of the league starter, you know, in the same way that some people described at least periodically Jimmy Garoppolo. But if he does what he did against Detroit in the fourth quarter or the last quarter and a half and he starts to make one play after another that isn't in the rhythm or timing of the play, then he's starting to prove that he's got those attributes to elevate a team on his own. So anyway, I I think that this game is certainly a, 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 a matchup that's fascinating because it should be pretty even. I still don't know how you know, you make Brock Purdy's team a favorite over a team quarterbacked by Patrick Mahomes that just went on the road and beat Baltimore, but I would never question the odds makers. But anyway, interesting game this Sunday. You've got the Chiefs winning 35-27. to You know, you mentioned Shanahan and Kyle. It's a big game for him. Of course it's a big game because it's the Super Bowl, but – I write in tomorrow's Washington Times. You can look for my column in the Washington Times tomorrow, washingtontimes.com slash sports, about Kyle, his time in Washington, and how he wound up in San Francisco. And I came to the realization that Kyle's 44 years old. He's got a long time yeah. to, to, to cement his legacy. True. I mean, he could, he, he, could, he could be a head coach for the next 20 years. I mean, Andy Reid left Philly when he was, I think, 50, 54 or 58 or 54. He was 54 years old, and he got fired in Philly because he couldn't win the big one. You know, like they might talk about Kyle if, if he loses this Super Bowl. But look what Andy Reid's done in the 11 years in Kansas City since then. So Kyle has plenty of time to cement his legacy. Uh, I, I got carried away with this, too, saying it's a legacy game. For Kyle, uh, I, I think, you know, he's got a long way to go to worry about that. All right, let's finish up the show with you heard it here first. I've been waiting to hear what the big announcement was going to be. You got it right here. Heard it here first. All right, Tommy, what's your bold prediction for the week? Okay. You know, I don't know why you do this to me because we don't do this half the time. I know. But this, I like when this, we do it. Oh, you hear it here first. But here you, you you drop it on me here in the last second, so you're going to get what gave you deserve. You, I gave you a warning. I gave you, you the warning. You didn't give me a warning. Well, if you, were no, listen, you didn't. if you were listening to the beginning of the show, I teased you. Know, maybe it. telepathically you gave me a warning. <laughs> I, lo- okay? I love so you're catching gonna get you off guard. Yeah. You're going to get what you deserve here on this. Well, do you want to? Here's th- my bold prediction. Do you want to think about it a little bit? Because I don't want to no, get. No, I don't. I don't want to get the Mike. I don't want to get something as stupid as Mike Tomlin being the next Redskins coach, the next Washington okay. coach. <laughs> okay. Here's what you're you're going to get. What you're going to get. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I can't wait. And that for is. And that is, in one of my karaoke appearances oh here at Kenny D's down here in Miramar Beach. Who shows up in the crowd with Jack Del Rio? <laughs> That's my bold prediction. That would be great. Jack Del Rio, who lives, who lives down here yeah. in Miramar Beach. And Kenny D's is a very popular place, especially at karaoke on Wednesdays. Uh, and Jack seems like he likes to, you know, to down a few brewskis uh, now and then. My prediction is he's going to show up and watch me perform karaoke at Kenny D's. So what would you do if Jack Del Rio showed up and was watching this incredible talent do karaoke at Kenny D's? Would you talk to him? Would you? Okay. No, I wouldn't. I would. Look, I'll be honest with you here. Uh, I've never been afraid of, you know, being confronted or confronting people about what I've written about them, okay, because I've always figured what's the worst that they could do to me, you know? And I've even have, I've even in my younger days, you know, I mean, I don't know if I could do it now, but I even had a plan that if, if any of these ball players or, or guys ever attacked me, I was just going to go for a thumb and break their thumb and anything else that happened after that I'd live with, you know? So that was my plan. But I recognize Jack Del Rio it was, in his day, a legitimate badass, okay? 
And I, I would not go out of my way to enjoy that, con- to, to seek that confrontation. Oh, I think, he, I think he would be totally fine. I bet you guys. I was pretty hard. You, I was pretty hard on on Jack. Yeah. All right. Um, my, uh, I've got a good one for you today. It's actually thought out a little bit rather than just winging it like you just did. Yours was a good one. Pretty good to come up with that. Because um, you know what? It's possible since he lives in the area. All Big East NCAA tournament final this year between UConn and Marquette. And Shaka wow. Smart will win a national championship for Marquette in that all Big East final. You know, Shaka Smart, man, Marquette is so good. Uh, they, They have just so many options offensively. They're a good defensive team. But they, Shaka Smart just has won, you know, he took VCU to a final four. You know, he, I know. I remember that. The Texas, that was magical. The Texas teams that he coached, you know, did not do well in the tournament when he got them there. But he's home. Uh, Milwaukee's home. They went to the round of 32 last year, and this team is a veteran team. It is outstanding. The guard play with Kolick is unbelievable. Marquette is going to be your 2024. NCAA basketball champion, and they're going to beat the defending champion, Danny Hurley's UConn Huskies, in an All Big East final. Um, well, kudos to you. That's a good. That's a good. You heard it here first. I'm glad you have to admit. It. Thank you. I'm um, glad. You know that means you're going out on on a high note. Since we're not going to be doing this anymore, right? No, we'll be doing this as whenever I think about it. We'll be doing it. We'll yeah, be doing whatever, yeah. whatever the thought pops in your head. <laughs> I have it on my Thursday podcast with Tom rundown. I have, you know, I have a football calendar uh, where which includes. Don't forget to ask Tommy for his for his uh, you know Redskins p- prediction. Don't forget to do. You heard it here first, etc. Don't but, tell people you actually have a rundown because we don't want to give them the impression that that we actually prepare for that this we pl- that we plan okay. this brilliance. Yeah, um, we don't want. We don't want people to think that. Let me just well, just to to, to kill the idea that it is um, yeah, structured or planned. I would say that, in, on average, eighty percent of these shows are spontaneous, and we didn't talk <laughs> about it before, and we didn't even plan on talking about it uh, before. Um, all right, uh, thanks. Good job today. Excellent job. I'll talk to you uh, on Tuesday. Let me just. Let me just... Okay. Let me just uh, remind everybody karaoke. about my podcast uh, selection, my my karaoke selection. Okay. It's important to me, this one. It's an old Hoyt Axton song called Della and the Dealer. I mean, it's an obscure song. Nobody's ever heard of it. But I used to like it because it was featured on an episode of WKRP, which was a great comedy sure. show. And Hoyt Axton was a pretty cool actor, too, and a very good songwriter. And this is a song I used to sing to my kids at bedtime. And that's the song I did for karaoke yesterday. <laughs> did they you get know, to my, sleep? my guy, Sammy Panama, was uh-huh. not there. Yeah. Uh, he called me. He said he was stuck at the El Watusi studio doing some late recording, but he promised he'd be there next Wednesday. And he really thinks you're good, huh? He thinks, uh, he thinks I, I fit the profile of what they're trying to do. A whole new career coming up for. Tommy Purify. All right. Uh, I'm not going to attach the most recent performance to this podcast today, but your next one I will. All right. We'll do every other. Okay, boss. All right. Have a good weekend. I'll be back tomorrow with Jay Gruden.